Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, Y-E-G, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, Go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Rows of clover cover up a season's worth of wasted dough. I will tie the dough to feet. Ring of cedar standing there. Buckshot barrels, steady hands. Plunder through the flattened land. Barrels burn the ashes all Baskets stockpile in the hall H.C. McIntyre is a tremendously gifted poet, singer, producer, musician, and songwriter 
based in her home state of North Carolina. A member of the folk band Mount Moriah, McIntyre has established herself as one of America's greatest and most astute lyricists to emerge in the last decade. Her third album is a stunning and contemplative one called Every Acre and will be released by Merge Records on January 27th, 2023. H.C. and I connected recently for a revealing talk about things like her current home in Durham, North Carolina, and her upbringing in the state's foothills, how college radio and bands like Cedar Kinney changed her life and got her playing guitar, growing up a jock and then getting into poetry that now influences her songwriting, why Every Acre examines how the lands of indigenous and BIPOC peoples have been stolen, and also what's in a name, her collaborators on this new record, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations to sustain this podcast at patreon.com slash creative control plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 746 of Creative Control featuring the brilliant and kind H.C. McIntyre with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, H.C. How's it going? Hey, Vish. Uh, it's going well. How you doing? I'm well. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, where in the world are you today? I am in uh, outside of Durham, North Carolina. So, yeah, in between Durham and this little town called Hillsboro. So, is that is that right in the middle, long, kind of in the middle of the state? In the middle of the two places. So how where where is that in relation to like Carborough or Chapel mm-hmm. Hill or or, or Just something? A spitting distance there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's love that like, area. It's all the same, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I quite love that area. In fact, I believe uh, as we're speaking, was it today or yesterday? Was uh, there was some sort of commemoration of Elizabeth Cotton? I kept seeing yeah pop up on the internet, and I forgot to look at what it was exactly. But uh, she's from. I discovered on a tour once uh, the band I was road managing. Every night would play a freight train by Elizabeth Cotton, and then they kind of stopped doing right right around when we got to North Carolina, and then they were they decided randomly to bring it back in Carborough, and someone from the audience yelled, "She's from here," and we had no idea. <laughs> and, and really? like my, the guy, the singer was like, "What? Oh my god, he's been playing the song forever." That's is that accurate? She's, she's Elizabeth yeah. Cotton's from that era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you're you're probably at like the Cat's Cradle, which is right across. The train tracks from where she wrote Freight Train. Well, we were actually, we were actually that particular show. We did a couple in that area, as I recall. This is going back to the October of two thousand. I think mm-hmm. we were actually in Carborough. Is there any kind of music mm-hmm. venue? Would there be venues yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, that would be the Cat's Cradle. Yeah. Oh, that's in Carborough. I thought that was more Chapel Hill. You know, it depends on who you ask <laughs> me, but <laughs> technically, Sorry. technically, the it technically is in Carborough. 
um, right right on the on the line, the railroad line that she grew up. I on. only I only clarify this for the record. Not that anyone cares, but we went to the we we visited the Cat's Cradle, but the show they played was not there because the Cat's Cradle is like in kind of like a plaza or something, right? Like almost like a strip yeah. mall, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> I remember that we were there just mm-hmm. to check it out because I'd heard so much about the venue. Mm-hmm. But no, the band I was—they're called Royal City, and they were smaller at the time, and whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah, we were we we were definitely playing somewhere in Carborough proper, I think. Did- was it the uh, nightlight? See, I'll have to look no. through the archives of my... I, I okay. do actually have... I found it on the internet archives. I found mm. our whole... Someone in the band was saying... Asking me about those dates. Because it was very fortuitous. We we met Sufjan Stevens and became friends with him there. We found Big Pink, which was a big deal to some of mm. us when we were mm. in New York. Uh, I randomly jammed with the now disgraced Ryan Adams in his basement... <laughs> And I didn't know really who he was. They were like, Whiskey Town. You know, Whiskey Town? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't really know what that is. Anyway, all this stuff <laughs> happened. So we were, in my friend's case, he was like, I met my now wife on that trip. Do you remember when we played Brooklyn? So mm-hmm. I had to go digging through the internet. Anyway, all this to say, I will email you later okay. <laughs> and tell you exactly where we played when we were in North Carolina. It is lovely to have you on this show. Uh, I'm yeah. a I'm a big fan and I love your new record so much and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, what you. I usually do in terms of a time and space and place thing is uh, ask people how how they relate to where they are. So mm. now that I've told you all about my relationship with that, <laughs> <laughs> that area, how long have you been in Durham uh, and in North Carolina? Well, I've been in like the Triangle area, Durham, Carborough, Chapel Hill. For since 2003, I see. So quite a while. I didn't, you know, moved around to different little boroughs and nooks and stuff. And before that, I was uh, I went to school at UNC Wilmington, which is on the coast. Okay. And I grew up in the mountains, a little town in the mountains. So kind of just, yeah, big big tour of North Carolina. So no, you're North Carolina all the way through, though, uh, throughout your yeah. entire... Okay, yeah. that's your... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So you moved... Mm-hmm. It sounds like you moved from the mountains uh, to <laughs> uh, to attend school and then kind of stayed. Is mm-hmm. that fair? Yeah, that's right. That was... I, well, I attended school. It was the furthest public school I could get to. <laughs> furthest away from my where I grew up. And, and then just applied for a job in Chapel Hill. I knew the music scene, but like didn't really like I wasn't into indie music, so to speak, but just kind of took a chance. And here I am. Nice. You yeah. just invoked something called the triangle. And my memory takes me back to us getting lost, uh, trying to navigate that area. Because I think I did some. I did. I was driving. I did something dumb. Do people often get lost in that triangle? I have this f- sense memory of people being mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, it's not unusual that people." Mm-hmm. It's like the Bermuda Triangle almost. Am I? <laughs> are were we Canadian well, I idiots? I wasn't going to say. I wasn't going to say it, but I mean, I get lost. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'd say. So. Pe- I, people, I'd say <laughs> people get turned around. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we're we're kind of the pace is pretty slow here. So right. Yeah. That is interesting. So you weren't into indie rock per se. Did you have <laughs> music in your life uh, growing up uh, in the mountains? You also also just said 
you got to a school that was as far away as possible from where you came up. Is that what you said? Did I get that right? Yeah. 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 I, I sure did. I'm, I'm, I'm being as honest as possible with <laughs> So that was purposeful. You wanted to get, uh, get out of where you were. It, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I grew up in the, the foothills, um, in between, uh, Asheville and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Small town, grew up on a family farm. And, um, very religious, uh, family. And I, yeah, I, I needed to kind of see who I was, um, outside of that community. And yeah. And so six hours did it. Six hours to the coast. So, so <laughs> where did you, how old were you when you did this? I was 17. Oh, okay. This is when I went to college, yeah. Oh, so, oh, college. Sorry. For some reason, I thought in you said public school, and I thought you meant like grade school, and you just were like, I got to get away. Mm-hmm. Given what you, how you just described things, did you get along well with your own family, or was it the community that you were really running away from? Mm. No, I, I got along. I mean, it's, it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. There's like one blinking light, and uh, maybe there's two now. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, and it, and it was a small school, and I was really involved in school, like sports, and so I was kind of like the kid who grew up in the country but went to the city school, and so yeah, it was it was more of like I needed to grow it as a person and just step out of my identity at all my family lives on one road and um yeah you know and just yeah so okay i understand that you you're coming of age and Mm. i know from my own experience and i've talked to other people who come up in uh devout households whatever their religious uh, affiliation might be uh, or 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 households where they don't, as the child, you don't feel like you're getting a clear picture of what the information in the world really is. Um, I find <laughs> mm-hmm. myself, I found myself questioning, my parents immigrated from India and they often mm-hmm. talked about how great India was. And I'd say, well, why did you move? And they didn't have a really good answer. Mm-hmm. They didn't have an answer for how India could be the greatest place in the world. We left, uh, which I always <laughs> right. found confusing. Or I came up uh, as a drummer and I got, there because I would tap on my knees on drives to visit my 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 mother's brothers and sisters in about an hour outside of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I would tap on my knees and they'd say, you can't, like to the music that was playing in the car, and say, you can't do that. That's a harbinger of death. I'd say, mm-hmm. what? Why? How? Why is that? And they couldn't give me the answers. All this to say, I think that drew yeah. me to punk and questioning <laughs> questioning things and becoming sort of my own person. Mm-hmm. Um, does any of that resonate with you oh, and what yeah. you went through? Totally. And and yeah. that and punk was like the first. So that was like the first bit of underground music that I discovered. And the only reason I discovered it, you know, I, I was I grew up on FM country and like whatever, <laughs> like CB <laughs> scanners, um, you know, not a lot of options. Besides, like, the church and, and hymns and stuff. But when I went to college, I just kind of happened to walk in to, like, a meeting for uh, a meetup for the radio station there, the college radio station. 
And I kind of went to the wrong room. So it just, <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I, oh, wait, I can be a DJ? Wow, that sounds, you know. And then, like, my world just opened up. Because huh. it was, yeah, I became really involved with the station. I was like the librarian and program director. And I mean, that, yeah. That's how that's how I learned about independent music, but particularly, I discovered uh, Slater Kenny and like Team Dresh at the time when I needed them most, you know, and was just like, wow, I didn't know, <laughs> you know, like I didn't know, I didn't know women could be this emotional, like you know, like we can. You know, it it's, it blew my mind, and it was exactly it was exactly what I needed, and that's that's why I learned how to play. That's why I started learning how to play guitar was just later came wow. songs. Yeah. So that, that this is roughly the mid to late nineties or something. Um. Yeah. Uh. Ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's around when I I did. You ever see the band live mm-hmm. in their original? Yeah. Yeah, was that times. life? Yeah, I got to see them a couple of times too. I actually the first time I saw them in Toronto, the White Stripes opened. Oh. Um, yeah, well. and no one knew who they were, and uh, they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like Slater Kenny more, so uh, so yeah, I got into them a, a lot too. I was going to ask, like, did you say you became the program director at that radio station well, at some point? Yeah, I, I worked there. Yeah, for three years. Yeah. So you were all in. It wasn't just <laughs> a flight of fancy. You were hooked. You you know what it was it was like a, a, like a, a a sub community because yeah. that's where I met a lot of my friends who are still my some of my best friends today because we were at this public beach school you know uh, university and we're kind of misfits in a way, you know, <laughs> like you could, you could tell the, the, the kind of like artsy kids, you could just tell <laughs> we, we, uh, we found our own. And so this was like a, a refuge for me was, was going into the radio station in between classes. It was just like a hangout spot and where I would, I couldn't wait for the promos to come in and, yeah, and I, I've worked in record stores a lot too. It's just, I mean, discovering music is did it was life changing. Discovering like outside the box music. Well, the thing about what you're describing, and I think myself, I had the exact same experiences uh, going to record stores, going to the community radio college or community radio station. Um, you discover and become a part of a community. Uh, very quickly, that because all of those things then are gateways into going to shows, and then if you keep going to shows, you run into people. I'm not, I'm, I don't need to explain how people become friends, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but those things are hugely important um, mm-hmm. because uh, I found listening to any kind of underground radio or records to be a pretty solitary thing uh, mm-hmm. to do. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it was exciting for me and that's how I got into music was just listening to it by myself. But then to discover that you're not alone with it, because it seems mm-hmm. to me that you were f- whatever, among the things you were probably fleeing 
in the foot from the foothills was isolation <laughs> and alienation, right? Yeah, I think, and I think I was. It became pretty apparent that, like, I just got really burnt out on sports. I was I was a jock, and like, there wasn't a lot to do where I grew up. But and you know, and just competitive sports, I just kind of hit that wall, and I started, you know, when I was. 11th 12th grade I I started reading poetry and you know writing poetry and just discovering this other part of me that I was kind of surprised was there and I wanted to nurture that and so yeah it was given that part of me like a chance to to grow and and I was also you know it was a conservative small town and I was realizing that my belief systems were um, incongruent yeah. with uh, what was around me, and including like sexuality. You know, I was I was discovering my sexuality and politics, and so yeah, I had to move across the state. Yeah, I see. So it's not just finding your people; it's finding yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Yeah. And I think, and I think all those people were do were doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, you're seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Your what it was was like a an environment that allowed you to be who you were becoming. It's a hugely formative time, like, and I think it's why uh-huh. some of us. Uh, maybe myself included. I wrestle with this sometimes with uh, my areas of interest and the guests I have on this show because I have some friends who are like, really? You're talking to Super Chunk and Pavement still? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're all still doing stuff. Why wouldn't I? Of course, of course I want to talk to them. They and I, But I think the connotation is like, didn't you like them when you were 17? I'm like, yeah, they're a big part of me. All of these yeah. things are, I like new things too and younger, th- younger bands too, but um I have a loyalty to the things that are foundational for me. Um, yeah, and and they're still putting out music. My God, that last and, Super and Chunk record is one of my favorite records of last year. Absolutely, of twenty twenty two. That Wild mm-hmm. Loneliness. I told Mac this. I gushed. Uh, I, I love it. <laughs> I think they're fantastic. I always have. Before we move on to the poetry, because I'm very intrigued by your interest in it, mm. I've been very struck not only listening to the new album but actually reading the lyrics. I'm very struck mm-hmm. by your gifts as a poet, but I, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't uh, talk to you a little bit about being a jock uh, and <laughs> and the sports that you enjoyed. Because I've had a, personally, in high school, I was adequate at sports, coordinated enough that I could do it, but I had an effort problem. Mm. But at some point, beyond all that stuff... <laughs> I just separated myself from my jock friends to hang out more with the weirdo art friends mm. and then started playing music. There's something about mm-hmm. the cohort of, like I had my good friends and when they're jock friends, I didn't like for typical reasons, almost stereotypical reasons. The jocks are in a, in a small conservative town, uh, mm-hmm. sh- often share <laughs> some attributes. Let's just put it that way. Right. And I didn't, I didn't go for it. Anyway, I really uh, have come full circle and I love, I do love watching sports. I play sports with my son, much more accurate and better basketball player now at 45 
than I was mm-hmm. in high school. So I, I love it on the one hand, and I've reconciled what it means to be uh, into weirdo art and sports. What sports did you play in high school, and what was it about sports <laughs> where you were like, I hit a wall, I don't want to do this anymore? Can you talk about this a little bit? Sure, yeah. Um, from like four, five years old, I played soccer and basketball. Those were my two... Those are the two things that I pursued. That's the um, same. That's the same as me. I was on oh, or- yeah. organized soccer and organized basketball. What what position in soccer? I usually played uh, midfield or forward, mm. but there was one game I had to play goalie. It was one of those, when you're a kid, they're mm. like, everyone gets a turn playing goalie. <laughs> and you're like, all right, I'll try to play goalie. <laughs> I remember I played goalie for a half and then I scored a really pathetic goal. In the second half, like they took me out and then I scored a goal. I remember that. <laughs> I'm getting sentimental about my soccer time. But yeah, I think that's right. Midfield forward, usually. Uh-huh. What about you? Yeah. I I was a, a left midfield because okay. I had it. I was left footed, as they say. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean, I think what led to the burnout, you know, like I said, I'm grateful for those experiences. I think it taught me a lot and it helped me communicate with other people and learn a lot about just my own endurance and um, capabilities this is like as a human being yeah but I just I was doing it year round you know like I would when I was in high school it became I was on club teams I was on AAU teams and for both soccer and basketball, and so you were good. Um, you were like really good at it. I wasn't. I wasn't bad. <laughs> no, if you're on those, <laughs> a, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> but if you're on those kinds of teams, that's a higher yeah. tier of. I'm just, yeah. you know, shooting around with my friends or something. You, you were good. Yeah, I'll say it for you if you don't I, want to admit it. I think you must have been pretty good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. Yeah, I was. I was, and I loved it, and it was the thing I knew how to do. And and it became apparent that, oh, I could go to, like, I could go to college doing this. And and I don't know. That's when I kind of was just like, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting. You know? It occupies all yeah. your mental energy. People assume it's just the game, but it's the practicing is – and then you're thinking about it outside of that, and you're probably like training outside. Ugh, it's exhausting, isn't it? It is. And you know what was great is when I when I stopped playing competitive sports, I became obsessed with running. Yeah. Which um, still I is like a mental health every day kind of yeah. for me. And so I think I needed I needed to separate those two. And think of, you know, because when you're, I don't know, when you're in, on teams in high school and you're like, oh, sprinting, you, you just kind of roll your eyes and it's just like, oh, God, I don't want to run. But then, like, I do, I want to run. That's how I'm working some stuff out in my head, yeah. you know, yeah. as, a, as a young adult. So, If you're uh, even moderately athletic in high school, in Canada anyway, uh, you will end up on the track team. Uh, <laughs> did you do any track and field? Mm. I may have showed up for like the first 
<laughs> I think maybe it conflicted with some uh, schedules or something like that. So I did um, high jump, uh, and uh, oh. then they, they would get me to do the odd uh, long distance running, but I couldn't do it very well. Um, I remember just being thrust into that. Can you you run the anchor? <laughs> I'm like me. I, I don't know. I can't run. You, are you nuts? Yeah. But I did it. I, maybe someone bailed. Um, I don't want to get much more personal, but I'm six mm-hmm. foot two. Uh, you're okay. sitting and on a computer screen. May I ask, how tall are you, basketball <laughs> playing, soccer playing, superstar, H.C. McIntyre? <laughs> Not at 5'7". Oh, wow. You're at, okay. At, at best, at best. You know, I grew, I think, like four inches in high school in one year. So Okay. Yeah. That's actually pretty, so, that's pretty tall. It's not, that's not short. It? That's, that's five yeah. seven. That's, that's good. With cowboy boots, I'm five seven. <laughs> you, you wear cowboy boots, uh, uh, on the basketball court sometimes just to see what, <laughs> what would happen. <laughs> you know, you know, I haven't, it's, it's interesting. I haven't like touched a basketball in so long or kicked the soccer ball. It was like, I don't know. But but I would, yeah, I'd wear. I think the gauntlet has been thrown down. If you and I are ever <laughs> in the same space, we have to go one on one, yeah, or twenty one something, uh, and yeah. uh, give it a go. No, I just I like that. I I, I hear just so you're we're clear. I hear this a lot uh, from mm-hmm. the musicians I talk to. They have some sports background, and I don't want to be too heavy handed about it. But I I sometimes think that background can inform how you work mm-hmm. in a band. Uh, or work with oh, others. Oh, totally. Yeah, the team dynamics. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's collaboration. Yeah. In a different, obviously different form, different pressure, but yeah, that would be an interesting study, you know? I, I think like, they're completely connected. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the, yeah, I mean, I think as a, I don't, I don't know, as parents, we have these opportunities afforded to us to our children to go play soccer, play hockey, join the be in the high school band, you know, trying to give them a well-rounded view of the world and give them skills. But I do think they're all pretty interconnected if you really think about it. It's often a lot of like try to be socially not try not to be a social outcast. <laughs> try to work out <laughs> try to work with others. A lot of the activities are working well with others, you know. So I do think there's some connections mm-hmm. there. I don't think the well, the competitive stuff can come up too. I don't know if that's ever reared its head for you. Do you still, are you ever like playing a show or looking at the charts and like, oh, I'm going to go, my record's going to do better than so-and-so. I can't wait to beat them. No, you probably don't do Oh, those charts. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm, you know, I'm really not a competitive right. person. And I think that's why. Maybe now I I'm, I do the individual <laughs> sports, <laughs> but you know I have worked with a lot of different, a lot of different folks, yeah. a lot of different personalities. Yeah, yeah. You, did you say you do individuals? So do you do you do some sort of athletic stuff now? You do the running, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love to run. I, I run every day and, and and do like I wouldn't call it yoga. Yeah, it's like stretching it's it's (laughs) i don't know what it technically is but it's like elongated stretching time meditative stretching yeah i just i put on an earth record and then just stretch and i and i do some like weight 
little bit of weightlifting. Yeah, yeah, I had to get some recently. And I, again, uh, the anti-jock voice in the back of my head is, what are you doing? You're buying dumbbells? But it was because mm-hmm. I, I was talking to someone about how my shoulders have been bothering me. And we figured mm-hmm. out it's because of the mousing, the computer mousing. So to, co- oh, yeah. to come 180, I've become a total nerd and do lots of computer mm-hmm. things. And now they're like, hit the mm-hmm. gym, nerd. You need to be stronger mm-hmm. <laughs> to do your computing. And I was like, oh, okay. And I've, I do it. I, I bought these newfangled dumbbells that I'd never heard about before where they have discs and you twist the... You know about this? Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen this? You twist... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the weights mm-hmm. are all there and then you twist the mm-hmm. the bar and... Uh, what is that? The bell? No, that's the... You can like adjust. Yeah. You can adjust the weight. You know? Yeah. In my day, you, you had the weight when I was younger. You put the weights on with a clamp. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't do it right, they'd fall on your toe. Uh- <laughs> right. I think I think this is like the uh, shark, shark tank thing. Oh, is it a newer <laughs> invention? Way- <laughs> Maybe. I think so. Anyway, that's what... I think so. It's interesting as you get older. What I'm getting at, I think, is as you get older, the things you compartmentalized as maybe negative as a kid sports mm-hmm. after devoting in your case so much in my case too devoting so much time to it then deciding i reject that as you get older mm-hmm. you come full circle and you realize well there's something to that there was something mm-hmm. to that fitness anyway thank you for taking us down this uh, trip down memory lane i'm not quite <laughs> i'm not quite done because you said a couple of things about mm-hmm. getting into guitar and poetry and i want to mm-hmm. touch upon the poetry in a moment the guitar playing on this, on, let's let's focus on on every acre. Wonderful guitar playing mm-hmm. on this record. Uh, the solos are. Is that are you responsible for a lot of the soloing on this record? Not at all. No. Okay. No, that is Luke Norton, who I've been playing with for a few years now. That's him, just in his power, ripping, just, just ripping, shredding. He is yeah. ripping. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's an incredible musician and incredible guitarists and I feel really lucky to play with him with all my bandmates but yeah no solos here for me <laughs> are you ca- are you capable <laughs> are you capable of soloing <laughs> yeah well yeah it's been a long time since I have I used to play punk music and kind of in like a two-piece band yeah. or, or a three-piece sometimes and I was the only guitarist so I started out in playing really fast, complicated, uh, mathy rock, yeah. uh, punk rock. And, and um, yeah, now I'm more of like the rhythm guitar, and I'm really cool with that. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful dynamic. It's got a real groove uh, in, in some places, this new record. I, I really enjoy it. I only wanted Thank to you. highlight the, um, the soloing and all Prost to Luke, but, uh, I, I mean... For me, the obvious touchstone, the obvious touchstone for some of the guitar playing may be Neil Young mm. uh, in Crazy Horse. But I also picked up on more like, I feel like Jeff Tweedy doesn't get enough due. I know Nels mm. Klein and Wilco gets a lot of credit, but I, I picked up on some, is, is Luke a fan of either Neil Young or, or Wilco in any regard? I know he's a fan of Neil Young because I, yeah. I know we that's like where we all come together. But I don't know Wilco, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Just wondering. It, it really, some of the guitar peeling, the way that the, the guitars sort of just peel forth, uh, mm-hmm. reminds me certainly of like a Ghost is Born uh, era, mm. like almost tonally. It's very, it's interesting mm. that you're not familiar with them because it's, uh, if I if I may, as a fan of theirs and 
and yours. I feel a connection there. So anyway, that's a bit of a side note. You're, I, I assume you get into guitar playing after hearing uh, Cedar Kinney and other bands. What was your progress like there? Did it take a while for you to get it, or <laughs> did it come to you easily? Mm. Well, I, this is like right, I think, 90, 90, 98, 99. I think I had, the internet had just kind of kicked off where I was. Where I was. Mm-hmm. And I just would uh, print out guitar tabs and um, try over and over and over again. So I just taught myself, you know. And the hardest thing for me was actually rhythm. Yeah. And 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 then singing with rhythm, you know. It's like, you know, it was it was something that was challenging me. You know, I had been good at, you know being a jock for a long time and this was a whole different way of using my body and 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 um just physiologically and uh i it's kind of all i did i was pretty obsessed when i first got a guitar and started learning how to play i still when i pick up a guitar instinctually not as much anymore but i still sometimes play the earliest songs i learned how to play by others uh what was that well, the very first thing I ever learned, to, I told the story before, I think the very first thing I ever learned to play on guitar was Come As You Are by mm. Nirvana. And it was because it was just so, I struggled with it. And then when I got it, it was so revelatory and humanizing. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, I was obviously just copying someone else's idea at that time. But, oh, like it's it's accessible. You can kind of do it. Um, that's yeah. just when I happened to be playing guitar and it progressed from there to trying to learn their songs, probably some Beatles songs, uh, mm-hmm. whatever was kind of cool to me and my friends at the time, Sloan, um, mm. Super Chunk, you know, Sonic Youth, mm. these sorts of things, Fugazi, mm. the things I still love. Um, I, mm-hmm. that's usually my, my instinct there, but, um, it is, I, is that not your experience or have you jettisoned all of that tablature? Is it out of your mind? I, well, I, I definitely don't look at tablature and I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I think once I got like some basic chords down, I kind of just, and got into punk music, I just discovered my own chords. Uh, For sure. Yeah. You you know, and, and, you know, I'm not, I, I collaborate with a lot of folks who are, learned and stu- have studied composition and theory and yeah. but I'm just self-taught and yeah so that was my experience is I did the first song I, I learned <laughs> how to play I think it was Angie by the Rolling oh, Stones oh nice yeah I, I love the Stones um, I love the Stones as well at that time and still do so that's an interesting choice Maybe uh, Mazzy Star fade into you. Oh yeah, of course. That's a classic too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gee, I, I, there's a. There's I also <laughs> remember. I remember feeling good when someone was like, "Hey, you want to learn how to play Satisfaction?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I do want to learn that." And it was super straightforward. I'm like, "Man, like that's the thing. It was all relatively easily easy to do once you got the hang of the instrument." Um, so, and I'm self-taught on the drums. Like, never had any lessons. So. I did take a guitar class in high school, classical guitar class, mm. but we we all kind of just goofed around. 
and tried to learn ACDC <laughs> songs or whatever we were into at the time. Well, I don't, again, mean to draw too fine a point to this, a uh, fine line to this, but um, often when people talk about sports, if things are going well for a player, they'll say they're in rhythm. They've got a feel mm-hmm. today. Or, or if you watch uh, Clay Thompson just bombing, it's because he doesn't have it that day. He doesn't have the the rhythm and the feel and the, and the touch of the game mm-hmm. that he usually does. I always find it interesting that as a musician, if I'm on tour, I might have an off night sometimes. Like I just can't, I, one night mm-hmm. I can do a thing. I'm like, wow, I c- can't believe that fill I was able to do. That came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then the next night I'm like, I can barely play the goddamn song all of a sudden. Yeah. So it's a, there's a human element to it. But I would argue that given some of the sports you played, you were maybe not realizing that you were in rhythm you know, to, to play mm. basketball a certain way or soccer even a certain way. There's a certain flow to the game that, man, this is really a, a mm. dumb theory that I'm positing right now. But uh, <laughs> I do think there's some connection to that. Um, the feeling of, of mm-hmm. playing music or the feeling of being in the game and focused on it. Um, does that resonate with you at all? or is Yeah. Yeah, yeah like you're in stride. And yes. you're, there's a lot of different ways to put it, but... Yeah, you're all the cylinders are firing. Yeah, as as my uncle David. Was <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's very much about your own the zone you're in as a musician exactly. or an athlete in the like, zone, right? The zone, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Again, we're using athletic terms, and I don't feel that bad about it. I want to read people some lyrics from your new record. Is that permissible? Oh, sure. I want to begin with Rose of Clover. I just want to read a little bit because I find it very striking. Here's the how the song begins, and I'll get us to the chorus. Rose of Clover cover up a season's worth of wasted dirt. Rye will tie the doe to fear, the ring of cedars standing there. Buckshot barrel, steady hands, plunder through the flattened land. Barrels burn to ashes all, the baskets stockpiled in the hall. It ain't the easy kind of healing when you're down on your knees clawing at the garden. I just wanted to read that because I was very struck by that song in particular and and a lot of your lyrics, Mm -hmm. which are just so beautifully poetic. So I want to get to this poetry thing. It's not what I'm getting Mm -hmm. at, too. It's not conventional songcraft. And I I gather Mm -hmm. that you also maybe feel like you're oscillating between the poetic and the lyrical as a musician. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship to poetry? I, again, I don't mean mm-hmm. to embarrass you, but it's a very beautiful and unusual um, approach to songwriting is is what I pick up on from you. What is your entry point into songwriting? It seems to me to be poetry. Is that, first of all, fair? Yeah, it's it's not embarrassing at all. I mean, it, it honestly it feels really good when I, I think uh, folks kind of see that, you know? I feel seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I would not be in music, and I certainly wouldn't be a songwriter if it if I didn't first fall in love with poetry and uh, the written language and just the movements, the nuances of the cadence, the the rhythm. The I became I I became a creative writing major. I see. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would say. It's probably my my favorite thing to do as a songwriter. It's something I take really seriously, and, and it's really, you know, it can be really hard. 
but it it to me it's very fulfilling and, and they're there's they're very similar you know like a, a poem a, a a song a lyric lyrics of a song you know there's the rhythmic quality there's the epigrammatic component but there's so many twists and turns you can you know with your voice and I don't know I just I really push myself lyrically like I have a, a I have a pretty high standard for like what essentially gets published and, and associated with a song maybe it's all the workshopping I did in uh, undergrad but I don't know I it's it's something that I listen for in other musicians, like other musicians too. Yeah, yeah. Always re- reading. Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, you know, it's maybe trite to say that it sounds effortless because I see, I hear, and see the effort you've put into this, the work. Um, oh. And uh, and I also can't help but wonder if if this is a sort of a natural decision to kind of uh, present songs in a somewhat unconventional way if you will um or mm-hmm. if it's just the way these things come out of you because you'll get to the, like it I, earlier i suggested you oscillate between poetry and songwriting is that incorrect mm-hmm. is that a is that a because i do think they're very connected the songwriters i love the most mm-hmm. are singing poetry to me i think um do you right. see it? no totally do you see a distinction between the two or do you think they're pretty much the same yeah i was thinking about this earlier today um I think there's an overlap. I think for me, just because, you know, music uh, has been like my career thus far, all of my words have been kind of funneled into the like lyric song folder. Yes. You know? But, you know, what's interesting is I've been asked to do um, some different composition um, work for like lit mags, and that, and I'm so excited about that. You know, it's like a part of, you know, like I'm writing something this weekend that they want a poem and they want me to write it, and they want it on Monday, and they want me to write with in my handwriting, and like I don't know, I just <laughs> feel like that feels awesome, yeah, you know, and it. It does feel different because I don't know with with poetry you have as a reader you're not hearing the voice behind it right actually hearing the voice behind it and so there's a little bit more of um, I don't know there's some some nuance that can happen in songwriting that is exciting to me yeah. like vocally and and I also know that I sing pretty uniquely. I'm just I'm Southern, and um, <laughs> I know I was I was producing um, with this fella. He, he is from Chicago, and I was doing some co- co-writing, and you know he was trying to. He was like, "Okay, now walk me through. Now, how did you how do you say that?" When when do I make that turn? You know, I was like, oh no, you you just leave the G off, leave the G off everything for one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like uh, syllables are our friend. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you you view like yeah, I, I appreciate like again, 
it's an interesting point you're raising because listening to you sing uh, these words, I am transported to... Uh, I don't think they fall easily into country or folk traditions, but that's where my ear is attuned to. Uh, mm-hmm. But then actually listening to what you're saying and then reading it in particular, reading it dry without the music playing is a totally different experience, I will say. Mm. And I think that's mm-hmm. a really unique place for an artist like you to have. Not everyone has that. Mm-hmm. And within Thank that, you. I think there's a certain purposeful substance to this batch of songs in particular. And before I uh, try to clumsily approximate what that might be in an overarching sense, can you do that? Can you talk about maybe what inspired these songs? I get a sense of it uh, from even just uh, the one thing I will point to right now uh, is that you suggest this album was written and recorded on traditional territory of various peoples, and you you cite them all. And then there's also uh, something here in the credits about how a list of resources for North Carolina-based land reclamation initiatives, conservation efforts, and ways to donate can be found on my website, hcmcintyre.com. This Mm -hmm. gives the record to me a particular context. Then as I Mm -hmm. delve into what you're singing about, I'm like, oh, I see, personally, I can see where the through line between all of this so I've mm-hmm. asked you a leading question. I'm sorry, HC. What do you make of uh, <laughs> what I'm saying? Do you Can you, in an overarching sense, talk about what might have inspired mm-hmm. uh, the actual content of these songs? Yeah. You know, every acre. It's a lot. It's a, I took it from a line of uh, a song, Turpentine, mm-hmm. when I was trying to figure out, well, what's it, what does this, what do these songs, what are they, you know? And I love the power of how simple it was. But how much, how, you know, how it could, I don't know. There, it's also like really transformative. Like personally, like I was living, I had been living uh, by the Eno River in the same farmhouse on the same land for like nine, nine years, over nine years. And it was, a, it still is a big part of my identity. And it, it's where I, grew up so you know as an artist and like creatively was it's the most inspiring place I've been and then I had to leave and I'm, I want to be diplomatic about that in in doing so I started thinking about land in terms of ownership uh in terms of property lines in terms of like what does it mean to really own something and okay this person's name last name that maybe he got from his father (laughs) who had who had that you know whose land is this yeah like that became just like a a deeper dive for me and you know it was it was uncomfortable, some of it, some of the things that I was finding. But, you know, that's part of the accountability is like, you know, wanting to, I don't know, there's a, there's a thin line, you know, like wanting to draw attention and say, hey, you know, I, on this level, mine happens to be like a class level, yeah. not I'm identifying with this group of people. 
but I want I've I've wanted to be really mindful of how I talk about it because it's not my story. You know, like um the the native people and people of color uh around the Eno River and just like I decided to put that in the liner notes as a way um of of maybe I honestly I guess it worked because <laughs> because you you kind of saw that see the thread, you know. But the songs definitely come from a place uh trying to understand ownership and the power dynamics around that class and learning really learning about what where I've been living, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, it became a, it became a real passion of mine and, and I, and I wanted to do it gracefully and respectfully and accurately. And so I, I reached out to different, um, native organizations uh, in the area here and was just like, I don't, Hey, um, cold email. How do I write a land acknowledgement? Yeah. And I know it's weird to even ask you, like, what, looking for guidance, you know, like. Is this, uh, is, not, is this unusual mm-hmm. in your sphere? Because I didn't mean to interject, uh, but mm-hmm. here in Canada, we've really had a reckoning. We now talk a lot more about the genocide mm-hmm. of indigenous peoples in this country mm-hmm. and how we stole all their land. Uh, and yeah, why see? Yeah, why couldn't I just say that? Well, but, but what I'm asking though is that, no, that's fine. I think you articulated yourself very well. We talk mm-hmm. about it a lot. I can't attend any event virtually or in person now without mm-hmm. there being a land acknowledgement. There are little symbolic gestures. It's mm-hmm. never enough, but th- there's things that have mm-hmm. we talk about them all the time now to make sure that it's not lost to to acknowledge mm-hmm. what has been done and not just shove it into the dustbin of history. What I was going to ask, though, mm-hmm. I haven't encountered too many artists outside of Canada doing this um, mm-hmm. or, or happenings that I've observed and that take place in America where someone takes a moment to do a land acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Although, now that I think about it, I think I did see this occur at a recent... Um, I was watching a, a, a 24-hour benefit event that was taking place in Chicago and I feel like someone actually did do a land acknowledgement. So I may have to retract what I just said. But just to focus this upon you and what you're saying, mm-hmm. you took this upon yourself. Is it is this starting to feel like it's permeating mm-hmm. your your group of friends and your colleagues? Like are more people being I, more I think so. I mean I hope so. Yeah. I think a lot of people uh aren't sure how to talk about it. And like for me, the best way that I knew how to talk about it was like write narratives but yeah I think there's a a reference as a resource there's like a there's a website nativeland.ca are you familiar with that? no I'm not actually no oh really? yeah oh wow yeah I don't don't that's in Canada you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I have yeah, come across it. I, it's not ringing a bell right now, but I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So yeah, it's like a map, and 
you can, wherever you're at, you can see who, you know, what Native folks were there long before you, you know? Interesting. And then, yeah, and see the overlap and see this, the migration. And yeah, it became a, it's become a, a pretty big passion of mine. And I ended up, I started working for the Eno River Association. Oh, wow. Yeah, it kind of brought me into like land conservation and and wanting to speak with the elders here about their experience, you know. Yeah, but, I, I pick up on like there are a lot of elemental aspects to mm, the songs, and I picked up mm -hmm. on that. And 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 I like you said, I I'm acknowledging a through line between what's in the the liner notes and what mm -hmm. I'm hearing you sing about. And, and I mean, I, I think that's very uh, commendable of you mm. uh, to to do this, to to take, to use your space and your platform to talk about mm. these things, because mm. the very least, it's got us talking about it, and, and hopefully, <laughs> it gets others talking about it, and and maybe yeah. inciting the website you did, you maybe substantiated my feeling that for some reason here in Canada, we're really dealing with this as best we mm -hmm. can, and. And I apologize if I've denigrated any Americans who I, I just, I don't see it. We live in our little no, bubble. I, I think you're right. I, I, I came across a lot of the resources that I was, I was looking to were based in Canada. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. We're just above you. And, uh, <laughs> but I, it, it is something. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't mean above you in terms of intellect or stature. I meant we're literally geographically. Just above you, yeah. and yet we're so mm -hmm. we're 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 quite different. Um, is something I've I've come to recognize. I I have a lot of American artists on my uh, show, and mm -hmm. uh, I never think of us as being that much different. But as we're speaking, I, then I follow your uh, electoral proceedings and all those sorts of things, and you're <laughs> like, oh, they are a little silly. Like we, I don't know, we mm -hmm. act a little bit like a your younger brother. We copy you because we have our own mm -hmm. versions of Trumpism and. MAGA sure. here now and it's not fun and if you think about it it's really this hell gate that has been opened by what's gone on in your country uh, in the last uh, no offense but in the last oh, uh, no. <laughs> seven <laughs> years or so we've just everyone sort of whatever anyway all this to say it's a really beautiful record I feel like we've given Thank people you. just a glimpse of it so far but I, I hope this provokes them to actually listen to it and as I say really spend time with the lyrics is there anything more you want to say about it that we haven't covered? Uh, I want to give you an opportunity in case we either I screwed something up and misrepresented anything, or if you want to <laughs> highlight anything about the music or your collaborators, please feel free. Yeah. You know, I would like to just name my collaborators. I think that that would be something, you know, that would be, would feel important to me and to them because this record it is the most personal narratively that I've I've written and it's the most collaborative record and it, you know the approach was different in that you know I'm a Virgo okay and I like plans <laughs> but there was a certain challenge that I I just leaned into of like Okay, we're not gonna, we're gonna go into the studio and we're only gonna have six songs. And those other four, we'll, we'll figure them out in there. Oh, nice. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, this was surprising to me that I, but I went with it, and you know what? That, what I came to understand that that was a level of trust that I had with with those collaborators and myself, and and the and the so yeah, uh, Daniel Faust played drums, Luke Norton guitar, Casey Toll played the bass, and the co-producer engineer. Um, is Missy Thangs and we've just developed a rhythm of working together and like this particular record was I wanted to keep myself on, on my toes a little bit and be like okay we've got to write we've got you know we've got to have some more songs here and, and it kind of pulled things together that were unexpected I think a lot of or a lot of the, what I'm hearing a lot of the songs that people are gravitating towards were, were those songs that came from this like what should be this pressurized situation but it was more like what do you have in your bag what do you have in your bag okay okay let's just see why don't we try that and me like writing melodies on the spot you know, um, I was just and, talking about this with someone else about how in mm. all my experiences, the most prepared songs when you're done the record, the, the songs you were most prepared for, you like them fine. But the mm-hmm. ones that really stick out to you are those ones that you weren't so sure about and weren't as prepared for. Those end up being your favorites because they're a little miracle because you have the sense mm-hmm. memory of the experience of like, what is this song going to even be? We haven't finished this. And then you mm-hmm. capture it, and it feels magical because it all worked itself out within that pressure that you're, even if you don't articulate it, it's there, mm-hmm. right? So the, does, that, re- does song, that resonate with you? Totally. It, yeah. And the songs that, at least for me with this record, that I was not sure about, you know, the ones of the stragglers, the ones that were like needed the most attention, <laughs> like Rose of Clover. Was the one I mentioned, one, yeah. The one you mentioned, yeah. It was really, uh, we wrestled with it. And it didn't make sense to me for a long time. And then, yeah. It's so interesting to hear that because that's a song that has a pretty relaxed groove <laughs> to it. You don't hear the tension. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's, again, that's sometimes the ones that feel in the pocket Mm-hmm. In the end, you're just like that was very satisfying that we pulled it off, and mm-hmm. then that's that's interesting that I anyway yeah I love that song and um, oh, yeah anyway no it's all this to say it's, it's a wonderful record I, I hope you're very proud of it it sounds like you are and Thank I encourage you. I encourage people to check it out as you can uh, hopefully tell there's lots of layers to it as well it's not just uh, a great sounding experience uh, it is intellectually stimulating I suppose as well so. Thank That's you. my sweet spot. I like that. I like when something yeah. sounds good and provokes me to think about things. So thank you for this. Uh, are you working on new stuff already, or mm-hmm. do you have any plans uh, that you want to share with us uh, at this point? Yeah, I've, I've started. I've started writing some new material, and and I've been doing some co-writing um, for other folks and producing. Uh, so yeah, I love collaborating you know whether it's like working on 
you know, writing, co-writing, trying to co-write a country song, you know, that Sam McGraw might like, or, you know, writing uh, some pastoral film score. Like, I just, I I love, uh, not that I do those things every day, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, but, um, you know what I'm enjoying mostly right now is talking about this record. Oh, good. Because it's, it's teaching me a lot. Um, and I'm learning about the record through this experience. Oh, good. And that hasn't happened to me before. Yeah. Is that because you haven't done much press or that the, uh, you just didn't have this revelatory experience? I think other records, I knew what they were about, um, conceptually and, I knew how to talk about them, you know, and this record has, has, is just full of, I don't know, revelation for me. And, and, you know, I'm experiencing it. We, you know, we recorded it at the top of, we recorded it a year ago, started recording it a year ago. And, you know, a lot of the grief that I talk about and write about, I'm experiencing that in a different way. Yeah. I'm experiencing a different grief at the moment, you know, mm. but you know, this, these, these songs are still teaching me. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about any grief you're going through, but, um, hopefully it's, there's something, I don't know that you can take away from that and, and learn mm-hmm. from. So, um, now, uh, as I've said a few times, it's a it's a beautiful record uh, in many regards. Uh, if people want to learn more about you and Every Acre, I know it's out on Merge Records. Is there anywhere else you'd like to direct them? Yeah, I have a website, uh, hcmcintyre.com, and all my tour dates and thoughts and Patreon account. And yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the hub for me. Okay. And are, are there tour dates forth as we're speaking? It's uh, mm-hmm. early January. Are there tour dates mm-hmm. uh, forthcoming? We're in the process of, of tightening that up, but yes, it, there's definitely we're we're playing a show opening for Bikini Kill in um, April and kind of building a tour around that. Oh, nice! That yeah. is so interesting. I just had Kathy from. Uh, Bikini Kill on the show. Wilcox? Okay. Yeah, Kathy Wilcox was on the show uh, talking about her band, uh, Casual Dots, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know them, but they're great. And uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's the small world. Weird. Very weird. Oh, oh that's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, okay. <laughs> well, people can go to hcmcintyre.com uh, for more information about uh, all the things H.C. McIntyre. Mm-hmm. If we can go out on a song... From this album, mm. I wonder. Uh, I've only really, uh, I haven't. I've given you short shrift. I've really only alluded to one. But if there's any song mm. you want to go out on, uh, if you don't mind picking it and also telling us why it came to mind, um, I encourage you to do so. Is that something you can do? Mm. Uh, yeah, I think so. I maybe I would pick maybe this is the first one. Okay. Yeah, it's called New View. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a love song and, and it's not, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a song about courage and being willing and being open. And I think I need to hear that right now. Okay. Um, so. You need to hear that yeah. for yourself. Is that what you mean? 
I do, I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Because when I wrote the song in a really different place, and so it hits differently, you know? Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So let's hear it now. This is uh, the first song off this beautiful new album by H.C. McIntyre. The album is Every Acre. The song is New View. H.C., this was a, a true pleasure and an honor for me to have you on this show and to spend some time getting to know you a little bit. Thank you for this, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you. I'm so happy to... I'm a big fan of yours, so this was great.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. HC is great. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with HC McIntyre. Man, thank you so much to HC for appearing on this, the 746th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishtana.com and also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. That's the primary source of revenue and probably the least icky. $6 American or more grants you access to exclusive content. You get the episodes a little bit earlier than everybody else, except for this one, which is probably going to come out around the same time because it's late and I'm tired and I couldn't get to it. Uh, But you also get other exclusive uh, content like uh, uh, older interviews that I've done with people and sometimes bonus uh, interviews uh, that, uh, you know, bonus content, sorry, from these fresh interviews. And uh, yeah, so, and it's just, like I say, it's supporting all the work I do with a little financial donation. It's flexible, it's monthly. If you do do that $6 or more American a month, uh, I would be happy to send you a Creative Control t-shirt. Uh, while supplies last, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one, okay? Thank you for supporting the show. also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, thanks, too, to my friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music on this show. You can learn more about Jim and his wondrous world of music at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with H.C. McIntyre. I hope you will check out HC's music Solar records are great Mount Mariah is excellent Great, just great And what a thoughtful person I just, I had such a warm feeling Hanging out this way with with HC And listening back to this conversation As I put it together for you It it was just fun I appreciate HC So I hope you'll check uh, HC McIntyre out And also, subscribe to this podcast Or follow it And please tell your friends all about it And, uh, you know, let them know about it Maybe they'll to listen to it maybe they want to be on the show i don't know maybe you got some friends that you think i might want to talk to do it just let them know spread the word about creative control if you can if not that's fine too just just chill out just chill man all right i'll talk to you very soon thanks again bye for now
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.